You're listening to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the Scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. My name is Zach Horton, and I'm with my wife, Krista Horton. Hello. And we are excited to bring you this episode on 1 Corinthians chapters 14 through 16, the final episode in our study of this wonderful epistle to the Corinthians that Paul writes. Uh, In this episode, there's a lot to unpack. Um, We're going to talk about the gift of tongues. We're going to talk about uh, resurrection. We're going to talk about standing fast in the faith that you've received. Uh, And our whole goal is to help you feel like you have strength and faith or know how to get strength and faith in the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, given the world that we live in and the voices clamoring for our attention. But first, I've got a story to share. Last week, early in the morning, Zach was headed out for work, and I was still sleeping peacefully in my bed. And he comes upstairs, a little panicked. Krista, I'm so sorry. I just spilled my breakfast, my smoothie on the floor. Can you please clean it up? I'm going to be late for work. Not your best wake-up call. Just saying. So I agreed to clean it up. And I went downstairs. And this was not your ordinary smoothie spill. This was a smoothie spill that had splattered everywhere. This was a chocolate peanut butter smoothie spill that had literally splattered, I mean, at least 10 feet across the floor, up onto the walls. Go big or go home. (laughs) Onto shoes. And you guys, I did not have a very good attitude about this. I was bothered for a few reasons, mostly clean it up yourself, dude. (laughs) And I had other plans for my morning. But I thought, I'm going to make good use of my time and at least listen through my scriptures while I'm doing this. Lo and behold, on comes, I was listening actually last week to chapters, starting in chapters, the last block that we were studying. And I couldn't help but just feel, I thought it was funny. I actually called Zach and said, you know what, after reading in verse chapter 11 from Paul's writings, I realized that this is exactly what I should be doing. I should be serving you in this way. (laughs) The man is the head of the woman, right? And the woman should be subject unto the man. Yeah. And I I thought, oh, the irony of this, of this statement. (laughs) So she repented of her ill thoughts. That is right. She's a much more submissive wife than she, uh, than she was before. So things are going really well for our marriage. So (laughs) No, but this, I really did say, oh, the irony of the story. And then again in these chapters in in chapter 14 of this block that we're studying, there is a little more about the woman. We didn't touch it on the last episode, but I thought this would be a good one, maybe for some of you women and for some of you men who maybe are saying the same thing Zach did just barely. By the way, that false just, preaching. No one no one send us angry stuff. That was sarcasm because I can just picture someone oh, sending yes. us an angry email. I hope they, of, what if someone stopped listening just because of what we just I'm said? Incensed. And then they didn't get to hear that this Can't is just believe that he would treat his wife just that way. For a joke, okay? Yeah. But I think this is a good thing to bring up and talk about these verses of um, women in the church, some of these things that Paul adds in in this letter that maybe you're thinking what does this mean exactly? Because I did. Um, so yeah, let's well, talk about it. So that question comes up a lot because Paul says a lot of things about women in the church. Um, you have to be careful not to cherry pick because Paul praises women quite often. He talks about women speaking and he talks about women prophesying. A lot of his 
epistles begin by praising women, as we've mentioned in uh, two or three episodes ago, in the beginning of this epistle, where he'll praise certain women who seem to have positions of authority in, uh, in these house churches. They'll be leaders of these house churches that are set up. And so you can't cherry pick Paul. You can't pull out one line or two lines and say Paul hates women across the board. But it does make reading some of these kind of uncomfortable. So for example, the one that Krista referenced in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, uh, well, starting verse 3, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all in one if she were shaven. Um, there is something similar in this episode in chapter 14 where women are specifically forbidden or so it seems from speaking in church um, and it shows up in other places too uh, in the book or in the epistle to the ephesians in chapter 5 uh, this gem verse 22 wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands and so you read a couple of those and you can get kind of uncomfortable reading them if you're a woman or if you're a man because you know in your heart that that is not how God views the marriage relationship, at least our reading of that. Um, Hopefully you don't. Right, right. <laughs> that uh, neither is man without the woman, neither is woman without the man in the Lord, that they are to be equal partners, not identical partners, but equal in their importance, equal in their government of the home, uh, complementary in their qualities and their characteristics. Um as, of course, the Family Proclamation of the World states very clearly that they are to help each other as equal partners in all of their duties and responsibilities. So we know that's the truth. So what do you make of Paul? A couple of things that helps. Number one, um, we have to understand that Paul is writing into an ancient culture. This creeps up all over the place. You always have to make sure that you do not read 2019 culture into first century AD culture. And so you read some of those and you think, man, if someone said that today, it would be horrible. Well, yeah, but Paul was living 2000 years ago. And so there were uh, differences in the way that women dressed than men. Uh, there were different privileges afforded to women in that culture when it came to public settings. And so a lot of times, if something makes you uncomfortable, and this is a little bit in the New Testament, it's even more so when you get to the Old Testament, if something makes you uncomfortable, part of it, you can just say, you know what? That was their culture, and it's not my culture, and I'm grateful that it's not. But an even deeper truth is if you read these scriptures in context, they don't bother you quite as much. For example, and we'll talk more about this, in 1 Corinthians 14, when it talks about women not speaking in the church, Paul is speaking in the context of this greater movement in the Corinthian church where people are babbling in tongues and causing an uproar and making a mess. And then Paul specifically singles out women there's a lot of Bible scholars that believe that maybe he's singling out women because they might have been, again, as leaders of the house churches, they might have been some of those that are, if not leading this, you know, babbling, speaking in tongues movement, then at least among those that are doing it. And so he's very clear that women shouldn't speak in church in this context when they're raving in tongues and causing confusion. Um, back in chapter 11, this one's my favorite. And it mirrors what I read in Ephesians, uh, where Paul says that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man. And then that verse in Ephesians, I actually love this because I feel it is one of my, it's one of my favorite marriage verses where Paul says, wives, 
Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, the church is to be subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Or in everything. And then this verse, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now that verse changes the meaning of the earlier verses. Wives should submit themselves to their husbands just as all of us submit ourselves to Christ. In that same context, husbands should submit themselves to their wives the way that all of us submit ourselves to Christ. But that verse that husbands should treat their wives the way that Christ treats the church, that Christ is the head of the church and the husband is the head of the wife, well, how did Christ uh, treat the church? He sacrificed for it. He served it. He wept for it. He prayed for it. That's the way that Christ is the head of the church. That's the way that he leads the church. It's servant leadership at its absolute finest. So how should a husband be the head of his family or the head of his wife? He should serve. He should love. He should pray. He should give up everything that he has to elevate and to and to ennoble and to enliven. That's the way that a husband should relate to his wife. So what you're saying is if you're late for work, you should, you should clean, clean up, clean up your, your own smoothie. smoothie. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully that helps. I, I think it's just an interesting discussion to to have and to think about. So yeah. I, I really like that. Okay. This episode starts in chapter 14. And um, we've mentioned previously some of the things that are going on in the Corinthian church. You have to remember those as you study these final chapters. Remember that Corinth is a church that's kind of in uproar. There's a lot of disunity, a lot of arguments. There's some pretty serious sin going on. And in these chapters, Paul brings up that disunity again, and he puts the blame on one specific thing. Uh, most of the chapter talks about the gift of tongues and that the Corinthian saints are abusing this gift and it's causing confusion. Uh, we did a little bit of a, I don't know, a study slash Google search on gift of tongues just to make sure we knew what we were talking about. Um, and make sure we weren't missing anything. But it is what you think it is. Uh, the gift of tongues is often manifest in two different ways in the Bible. One, it's people speaking in a language that's unknown to them, but is known to someone else, as happens in the book of Acts, and as we talk about with our own missionaries today. That is one manifestation of the gift of tongues. The other one is that people are just speaking in a completely unfamiliar language, and Paul clarifies that with the gift of tongues, there's also the gift of interpretation. Someone has to be able to translate what that speaking is. Now, again, that seems really, really, really weird to us. Remember, this is first century culture. This did not seem as weird to them as it does to us. Uh, speaking in tongues is something that happened in the early restored church in Joseph Smith's day. And again, it's not as weird then because that kind of manifestation of spirituality was common and wasn't viewed as something that was out of the ordinary. Um, one thing that we were talking about is that God speaks to all of us in the language and in our own culture. And so it's not surprising that he would speak or work in a way that doesn't make sense to us, but that made a whole lot of sense to them. So anyway, that's going on in the church. And Paul makes this great statement in verse 10 in chapter 14. He says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. 
Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, uh, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and him that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. That phrase, there are so many voices in the world, is the one that stood out to both of us as um, maybe a key for something that can help us study these episodes. We're not talking necessarily about different voices in gifts of tongues, but what kinds of voices are there in our world that make it confusing for us to understand the simple gospel of Jesus Christ? Even what kind of voices are there in the church sometimes that make it difficult for us to sift through and find something that's that's simple and meaningful? Speaking of YouTube videos, as we were looking up some of these, like just to see the gift of tongues, um, the thought came to me is, talk about noise. Talk about not necessarily these videos, but you can find a video, a voice for pretty much, okay, not pretty much, for anything everything. and everything. Um, you want to look up how to do something. You want to look up something crazy. You want to look up something weird. You want to look up how to, you want to look up anything and it's, it's there. There's a video to back up anything. There's someone producing a video about anything you want to think to believe or maybe think is might be real in fact maybe right? some of you have the same thing we do a lot of our um the more you know mormon messages you watch on youtube the more your suggested videos a lot of times are, are anti-mormon videos ex-mormon mm -hmm. videos people yep. interviewed and uh and you know some of them are some of them are pretty out and far fields and and uh seem pretty far-fetched but some of them don't and so you can, like you're saying, you can yeah, find videos. There's voices all around us. And I mean, that's one example. YouTube, I think, is a great example for the culture of our world. of <laughs> These these noises, these voices. these And there's a lot of great things. There's a lot of good things on there, of course, which I think is true in the world as well. Um, but that there are voices all around us. And what are we listening for? And what are we listening to? In fact, I was looking this up for something else, but uh, I was interested, kind of surprised to find out uh, during 2016, 1,780 people filed to be president of the United States, to run for president of the United States. That's just That's one crazy. position, one voice, and there's 1,700 people that wanted to be that one voice, let alone all of the other different voices that we have in our lives that are clamoring for attention and clamoring to try and tell us one thing or another. I love the story that Elder Uchtdorf told in um, a BYU speech that he gave earlier this year in January called um, Can You Hear the Music? And he told the story of a man who in jeans and a t-shirt showed up to play the violin in a Washington DC subway station. Now, this wasn't just an ordinary man. His name was Joshua Bell, one of the most accomplished violinists in the world. Um, he was also playing one of the most expensive violins, a $3 million violin, um, and playing some of the most intense music that you can get. And he, he went out and he just played in the middle of a subway station like you see anyone else. Um, and it was actually an experiment that a journalist from the Washington Post has put, put on to see. And, you know, they had everything from, we're going to have crowds, this is going to cause all of this mess because people are going to watch and see. So during this 45-minute period, um, they had cameras on it. They were, you know, people were watching what was happening. About 1,100 people passed by during this time, and only seven people stopped. 
And um, they said that one man walked within three feet of this and couldn't even recall seeing someone playing the violin. Yet here this was, and I, I think this is such a good example. And President Uchtdorf, he um, poses the question, um, can you hear the music? Are you really listening to the important voice inside in your life? The important voices of, you know, prophets and apostles of, most importantly, the spirit is what he was um, mentioning and comparing to this story of, are we listening to that beautiful music that the spirit can have in our lives to lead and guide us and allow us to hear these beautiful messages that are there. And I, I just love that comparison. And I think it really applies to what we're talking about here is, um, are we seeking after the right voices? It's a great personal question to ask yourself as you're studying, what are the different voices in my life whether it's uh, voices through social media, audio voices, physical voices, voices of friends or family or acquaintances or politicians or whatever it is, uh, and to become even aware of those different voices, all speaking to some degree a different language, um, asking your attention for something different. And then to remember that Paul says this, chapter 14, verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints, um, that God's desire is not for clamor and for confusion, but for peace. And I think that scripture is so important to remember that what brings us true peace? What are we listening to? What voices are we really seeking and listening to? Because we can become confused so quickly. YouTube videos, like we said, that's a small example of what the world, this, and we're living in a very secular world where there are a lot of voices speaking out against um, belief and against faith. And, you know, one of the things I've loved as we've studied Paul this time, and to be honest, this has been the most intensive study I've ever done of these letters of the New Testament. And I just, I love the parallels that we see between our world today, and although the cultures are different, a lot of the problems that they're facing are the same thing. And I know that it really feels like Paul was teaching the same thing to them that is so applicable to us today. God is not a God of disorder. He is a God of peace. And that is the way that he speaks to us. And I believe that if we sit and listen to him and create space in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives for him, that he really will be able to answer those deep um, confusion that we might feel or the questions that we have um, and help us understand that. But it's up to us to kind of create this space. And Corinth was having those same problems. So here we are um, getting answers from the scriptures for what we're facing today. So Paul's answer to these problems in chapter 15, he says at the beginning, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received, and wherein you stand, by which you are also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. And so he, in chapter 15, lays out some of the most basic um, and probably under-attack doctrines that help someone to keep that 
uh, melee of voices at bay and, and to be able to focus on the ones that make a difference. Of all of the doctrines that he teaches, the one that emerges as the most important to him is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, just for modern relevance, I came across this interview a couple years ago, and please know I admire uh, Stephen Hawking. I, I remember reading, I can't remember which book it was, one of his books in high school because I wanted to feel smart. Uh, and all it did was made me feel dumb because it was way too far over my head. And this was the one that he had written for the layman, and I still didn't get it. Anyway, uh, Stephen Hawking was a was a professed atheist, and in an interview once, he was asked, um, this was after he had been in the hospital in 2009, he was asked if he feared death. And his response is interesting. He says, I've lived with the prospect of an early death for the last 49 years. I'm not afraid of death, but I'm in no hurry to die. I have so much I want to do first. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. So there is an incredibly intelligent and very, very educated voice speaking against the very things that Paul is preaching in chapter 15, that Christ was resurrected from the dead. Paul, 2,000 years earlier, speaks to that. Um, and I love this verse. He sets up the scenario, well, what if Christ wasn't resurrected? What if that never happened? Um, and I love the, the explanation that he gives. This is verse 13. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. And then this, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if it so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And then this is my favorite. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Meaning, if this resurrection thing isn't real, then we are the most miserable of all people because we have this incredible hope in an afterlife and in a redemption of sins and in a restoration of our body to our spirit and in an immortal and a celestial glory. And if all of that isn't true, then we have this horribly... Uh, hopeless state of living. And so Paul goes on, as he's wont to do, and lays out a very systematic, linear approach to why, and why it's, well, justifying the resurrection of Christ, but then why it's also important that we understand it. And as we were reading it, we just loved that that's the simple truth that Paul wants us to go back to, that Jesus Christ lived and that he was resurrected. And if there was something to gain a testimony of among all of these voices, that might be it. That might be the thing to focus on. And isn't that always the answer? That simplistic view of that Jesus is the center, that Christ, if we center on him and his mission and what he did for us, that um, we can peel off that confusion um, verse 20 in chapter 15, 
But as it is Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. I love, too, that he starts chapter 15 by listing witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Um, I'll tell my students quite often, it is not a bad thing to believe something because people you know, love, and trust believe it. Because a lot of times we have that, uh, we have a, I don't know, stigma in the church that you can't have a testimony based on someone else's testimony, which it is true that, of course, our goal is to know for ourselves the truthfulness of all things. But none of us is ever going to get there. Everyone's testimony is this conglomeration of things that we've known for ourselves and things that are built up on people that we know, love, and trust. There are a great many things that I believe in just because prophets and apostles have told me it is so. I may not have had a spiritual confirmation about them, but I trust these men and these women that lead the church, and I trust their testimony, and I feel the Spirit when they speak, and so it confirms it to me. So I love that Paul's teaching not only is the resurrection important, but here are all of these witnesses that have seen the resurrected Christ. And he'll say, you can feel that same thing in your own heart. You can feel the truthfulness of that statement in your own heart. And isn't that, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with this world of confusion and voices that you need someone to trust. Like either you're going to trust this video or this witness or this person, or you're going to trust another. I think either way you look at it, whether you're choosing one path or another, you're trusting someone essentially. There's always someone in a proponent of whatever it is. And I like that my faith can be based on not only on these witnesses or people that have seen him, um, but I also like that I can gain my own witness too. Even if my witness is, is what this, am I trusting in the right person? Mm. Maybe that's sometimes the question that I'm asking. And a lot of the spirit has told me, I have felt that a lot of times it says, put your trust in these people, Mm. put your trust in this. And I think Paul's backing that up again and saying, you know that these people have have seen this. Here's my witness too. For Paul, this is very personal. He lived in Corinth for a year and a half. And so part of this letter, part of his pleading is, I've been with you. You know who I am. You know what I've been through. You know my past. You know my testimony. You know my passion. Um, Please just remember, that's what he says in verse 1, just remember the gospel that I preached to you in the very beginning. Just remember those simple truths. At the end of chapter 15, he says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then he'll say the same thing in chapter 16, verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Um, Be strong. Let all things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren. He's pleading with them to get rid of the confusion and to recenter their life on the simple things that they know are true. And so if I can, if we have any, I don't know, any sway with you as a listener, um, there are a great many things that I don't know and I'm very careful about the testimonies that I share and the use of the word know. But there are some things that I do know. I know that there is a God. I know that he's real. 
I know that he knows me and that he loves me, and I can, by extension, believe that he loves and knows everybody on earth. I also know that our current prophets, apostles, and church leaders are inspired by God to teach and to lead us. I know that the scriptures come from him and that they bear testimony of Jesus Christ. And I know that Jesus is real and that he's resurrected. I don't know if that matters for anyone out there, but it matters for me and it, and it, it means the world. Well, thank you so much for studying with us this book, this epistle. Thank you for studying with us this episode. And as we always hope, hopefully this is the beginning, not the end, of a great study for you this week at the end of 1 Corinthians and in your personal scripture study. Please keep sending us the questions. We've loved getting them. We love responding to them. We love your feedback. We love your thoughts. Um, and we're always appreciative of reviews and ratings that uh, help this podcast just get spread to more people. So thank you very much, and we will see you next week.